Isaiah chapter 58 is the passage I'm going to be speaking out, out of. Before I jump into this passage and read it, let me just say that tomorrow, Monday, is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. As I was thinking about that, I thought it's a beautiful thing to be a part of a church that from its inception has been multicultural, multiracial, social, economically diverse. Some of you have told me that you were raised in very bigoted, racist communities and that it was here at New Life Community Church that for the first time you embraced some people of different races, different colors, and called them brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to say it's a beautiful thing to be a part of a church that shows the diversity of the kingdom of God. It makes us all get out of our comfort zone. There are very few churches, very few churches around the city of Chicago that have the diversity that we have at this church. And I hope you appreciate and celebrate that. And I hope that it is the church of the living God that should be leading the way in bringing racial reconciliation, peace uh, to different groups as we see that we are one in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Have you ever tried something that you thought would work, but then it didn't seem to work? For a while, we had an old vacuum at our house, and part of my responsibility is to be the vacuum man. And this vacuum was very old. We had had it for a long time. It had lost its power. It wasn't functioning the bag was broken, and so finally we broke down and we bought a new vacuum. I was so excited about this new vacuum. We had researched it, looked around, make sure that it was portable. All the amenities were celebrated in its advertisement. And so when I finally got it, unwrapped it, plugged it in, I was so excited to use this new vacuum. I went right to our big carpet. I turned it on and it felt like it had power. And then I started to vacuum. And I started to go up and down and thought, what a nice thing it is to have a new vacuum. I saw a crumb on the floor and I said, crumb, we're coming after you. And so I took that vacuum and ran it right over that crumb, smiled to myself and brought it back and that crumb was still there. And so I took it again, and I put that vacuum right over that crumb. How many of you had done that before? And pulled it back, and that crumb was still there. And I did it again and again. And then frustrated, I told my wife, this vacuum cleaner does not work. She said, well, maybe you're doing something wrong. No, it's on. It's a vacuum cleaner. How much could I be wrong? And then somehow I realized that there was a button on this vacuum cleaner that enabled the hose part to work. So the hose was working, but not the vacuum itself. You see, 
when I clicked that button and then tried it, it really worked. The problem was not with the vacuum cleaner. The problem was with how I was using the vacuum cleaner. It worked. I just didn't know how to use it. Fasting is the same way. Some of you need to really listen today because you may engage in a fasting that doesn't work. Not because fasting and prayer doesn't work done God's way, but because you're not sure how to do it God's way. Isaiah chapter 58 tells us the fast that God chooses. And I would very much want you not to waste your time in a fast that is not effective. I want you to fast in a way that moves the hand of God, that transforms your life, that brings about breakthroughs, and that pleases the heart of God. So if you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 58, I will begin. The big question is this. What is the fast that really works? Now, I have to tell you a little bit of a context as we jump into Isaiah chapter 58 because in order to understand what a prophet is saying, you have to understand what was going on when they spoke it. Isaiah is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. He had a ministry that spanned both when the people of Israel were in captivity and when they were released from captivity. Those of you that know your Bible somewhat, you'll know that uh, the Jewish people had turned their back on God and started to compromise and follow after different idols. And so God predicted, prophesied, declared that God would bring judgment upon them. And they still did not repent. They still did not change. And God accelerated the prophetic word telling them, you need to change, you must turn around, or judgment will come. But they still resisted judgment, and finally the day of judgment came. God raised a nation, the Babylonians. And this nation came and invaded Israel and ransacked Jerusalem tore down the temple that Solomon had built, tore down the walls that had once protected their city, left the city of Jerusalem decimated, took all of the more intellectual, healthy, wealthier people as slaves to Babylon and left Jerusalem in ruins. Years later, Isaiah the prophet would predict the returning to Jerusalem. And Isaiah chapter 58 starts at that time. A group of people from Babylon finally had been able to return to Jerusalem. Now was their time to rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. There was homeless people. There was poverty. There was inequity. It was a city in ruins. This new group of people that had come to Jerusalem were excited about rebuilding it. But there was a task. They had still adapted to the Day of Atonement, which was the day that the Jewish people were required to fast. And so uh, many scholars believe it was during the Day of Atonement that they were fasting. And Isaiah speaks to them about their fast. There's four questions that I want to answer. Why is my fast not working? What kind of fast does God listen to? 
What are the breakthroughs of true fasting? And lastly, what do I need to let go of in fasting? Let's start with the first question. Why is my fast not working? Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. Shout out loud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion. And to the descendants of Jacob, their sin. Any time that an important declaration was going to be made to the people of Israel or ancient people at that time, a trumpet would be blown to get the attention of the people so that they could hear this important announcement. Somewhat like today you receive an amber alert and your smartphone starts buzzing telling you that an important announcement is coming and they'll say, hey, a child was kidnapped, be aware, or on your television screen while you're watching, a tornado's coming, and there'll be some sign, some buzz saying, aware, tornado in that area, letting us know an important announcement is about to come. Isaiah says, blow the trumpet, raise your voice. An important announcement is about to come. Declare to my people their rebellion. Verse 2. For day after day, they seek me out. That seems like a good thing. They seem eager to know my ways. Yes. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions, and they seem eager for God to come near. Those all seem like good things, people eager to pursue God, eager to know God's way. But I want you to hear the words, they seem eager. They appear to want to know my ways. And then he goes on and he speaks to the very heart of the matter in verse 3. The people of Israel were frustrated. They asked themselves, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not heard it? You see, the people of Israel were engaging in a fast that was not connecting to God. They were fasting, they were praying, but it seemed like God was not listening. And so, the prophet goes on. He says, yet on the day you are fasting... You do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. So God says, I know you're fasting. I know you're abstaining from food. I know you act like you're seeking me. I know you, you appear to want to know my ways. You seem like you're eager to know me. But the reason that I'm not listening, I got a problem with your behavior. Your fasting is not detached from your attitude and your behavior. Uh, he tells them this. Two things. You do as you please. And you have a combative spirit. He tells them, you're fasting, but look what it says in verse, uh, verse 3. He says, yet on the day of fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. 
You see, they were abstaining from food and seeking God, but really their heart was not, God, what do you want? God, how can I please you? God, how can I be surrendered to you? They perceived fasting as a way of manipulating God into answering their prayer. It wasn't, what do you want, God? It was, God, I want you to help me out. And while they were doing it, some of the business owners were exploiting their workers and not treating them in the right way. Can I tell you something? Ed Cole said it this way. A fast is not a hunger strike. Come on now. People go in a f hunger strike to coerce oftentimes management or someone in power to concede to their demands. A fast is not a hunger strike. Fasting submits to God's command. A hunger strike makes God submit to our demands. Hello? You see, God was saying you're fasting, but you have a list of demands as you fast, and you think that abstaining from food, you can coerce me into answering your prayers, but you do as you please. And your relationship with others is an unjust relationship. God says, when you fast and pursue me, I want you to surrender to me. I want you to bow your knee, not just symbolically, but I want you to humble yourself and say, what do you want, God? I'm chasing after you, God. I want to know your ways. I want to pursue you. I want your will to be done, not mine. And the second thing that he tells them is that even during their fast, they're in quarreling and strife and end up in striking each other with fists. So he's saying, in your fast, you're combative. You have relationships that are not right. You have relationships that are not just, and then you have relationships that are not right. You're combative with each other, fighting, quarreling. While you fast, you are fighting and quarreling, and it ends up, hey, by the way, this is before social media. And they were fighting and quarreling. And they're battling out, accusing, talking about one another. There was unforgiveness, bitterness, combativeness. And God says, if I'm going to answer your prayer, this is not about you abstaining from food. This is not about a ritual of submission. This is about you surrendering yourself to me. The Bible says earlier in the passage, it says, tell my people about the rebellion. The rebellion means that I'm unwilling to submit to the authority that's above me. In other words, I know, God, you're in control, but I want it my way. The Bible tells us that Samuel told Saul that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. In other words, my unwillingness to submit to God is like pursuing witchcraft in my life. It has the same end. So God tells these people, I know you're fasting, but because of your attitude towards others, because of your quarreling and combativeness, I have chosen not to listen to your fast until there's a surrender. Question number two, what kind of fast does God actually listen to? Verse five. The prophet Isaiah goes on to describe the kind of fast that God listens to. It says, is this not the 
kind of fast that I have chosen. Only a day for people to humble themselves? This is a rhetorical question. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed? Or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? The people of Israel would fast for a day. Oftentimes, it was filled with some pomp and ceremony. And sackcloth was what people put on to show that they were in a repentant mode. And so they would dress in their worst clothes, not the dress, the fancy clothes. It was the itchy sackcloth. And they would put ashes on their head. Ashes was a symbol of repentance, of brokenness. Thus, some of you come from a tradition where on Ash Wednesday, uh, you receive ashes on your forehead because it's symbolic of repentance, of brokenness. And so the people of Israel would get in sackcloth and they would put ashes on their forehead and they would uh, appear to repent and appear to be sorry for their sin and appear to fast and humble themselves before God. But God says, there is a different kind of repentance that I want from you. Listen to what he says in verse 6. This will shock you. Uh, some of you think, well, he's going to say, you only fast, you're doing salad and fruit, and the fast I really want is that you crank it up and do water only. Or, hey, you started fasting and you only prayed five minutes in the day, and I want you to pray an hour. Or you were fasting and praying and you did it alone, but I want you to gather together with a group and pray and fast. We would think that God is going to speak about that in the fast that he wants, but he goes in a whole different direction. And I want you to hear me because this is really, really important for you to grasp. The fast that God chooses is this, verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide for the poor wonder with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. What does that have to do with fasting? What the prophet Isaiah is letting us know is you cannot detach spirituality and the pursuit of God from the love of people. That there is no dichotomy between loving God and loving people. Uh, that, that if you're going to Starbucks in the middle of a fast to grab a cup of coffee, some of you are going to Starbucks to say, okay, I'm really going to try to follow a strict fast. I'm going to get just coffee only. Normally I put cream or, and I put sugar, but because I'm on a fast, I'm just going to get coffee. And there's a homeless person in front of Starbucks with his hand like this, and you say, please get out of my way. I, I got, I'm thinking about my fast. And you go in there and you get your cup of coffee and you say, I'm giving up the extra soy milk and foam that I usually put in there because I'm on a fast. And you go out 
to the Starbucks thinking, man, I'm really pleasing God. And the homeless person is there saying, can I help you? You say, please, please, uh, don't you see? I'm, I'm just drinking coffee myself. I'm hungry too, homeless people. And you walk away. What God is saying is you have missed the heart of a fast. Because your pursuit of God should be filled with compassion and love for the hurting and the broken and the naked and the poor. There is no fast that only pursues God but ignores people. The fast that pleases the heart of God is when we pursue him and in our pursuit of him, we love people. You know, one of the greatest images that I have from this past week, I believe we were about three days into the fast. We started last Sunday, and three days into the fast, someone sent me a link. And one of our pastors, Matt DiMaggio, who helps oversee our New Life Centers, who over this last year, especially with COVID happening, has gotten very, very uh, active and involved in helping to feed uh, people in the Little Village community. Uh, Little Village, if you're not familiar with Little Village, some of you may have been raised there, or grew up there, maybe still live there, but Little Village is primarily a Mexican immigrant community. And there's still a lot of people there that are undocumented, and there's a lot of people that were hit very hard with COVID during this time of, of COVID and a lot of people that were laid off. And so our New Life Centers and our church there has been involved in feeding people. And uh, even as I speak today, three days a week, it's open. And every day that it's open, three days a week, there's thousands of people that come by both in cars and walk up and people are fed because there's a... There's a food deprivation in that community and a lot of need. On the third day of the fast, our local Fox News was actually interviewing Matt DiMatteo. I didn't know about it until it happened afterwards. And what struck me as I saw images of the feeding that happened in Little Village, what struck me is this. There are people right now that are fasting on their third day of the fast, yet they are helping feed people that are hungry. That's a beautiful picture of what God desires. Hey, by the way, it happened here in our parking lot yesterday. Yesterday in our parking lot, a bunch of about 120 volunteers gathered together and in the cold, hello, in the cold, were handing out food for people that needed food. Yet many of the people that were handing out food were hungry because they were fasting, yet they were helping to feed the hungry in Jesus' name. That's what Jesus is talking about. By the way, you may not know this, but as we began to feed the hungry in Little Village and as we began to uh, really seek to minister to that community that's been especially hit hard, the building across the street from our building on 
27th or 28th and Lawndale, the building across the street became available, but they wanted $400,000 to buy it. And uh, our team over there said, this would be a great building for us to put the food in, but we don't have $400,000 to buy this building. Miraculously, through a non-Christian source, God provided $400,000 to buy that building in Jesus' name. Come on now. You say, why? I believe it's the favor of God. When his people roll up their sleeves and look at those that are needy and hurting around them and seek to meet those needs, then God's favor opens up and it pours out so that we have more to be able to meet more needs. That's the way that God works. The essence of what he's talking about really is love, love and compassion. When Jesus was walking the earth, a young man came to him and asked him, Master, what is the greatest commandment? In Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, Jesus looked at this man and he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We would assume that that would be the greatest command, to love God. Your soul, your mind, your strength. But don't miss this. Jesus could have omitted, omitted this in his statement, but he was quick to add, and the second command, and the second command, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I want you to hear me, people of God. I want this to be one of the most aggressive spiritual churches pursuing the heart of God than any church in Chicagoland. But, 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 but hear me, but hear me when I say this. There is no church that pursues God presses into his presence that cannot be then aggressively engaged in loving people that most churches ignore, in loving people that are marginalized and set aside, in loving people that others find hard to love because when you love God, there is no dichotomy. You cannot create a dichotomy between loving God and loving people. Someone that says, I love God, but is full of hate towards people, you don't love God. First John says, you can't say that you love God and, and then hate the people around you. There is no such thing. So why is my fast not working? What kind of fast does God listen to? Number three, what are the breakthroughs of true fasting? Then Isaiah goes on to explain, to describe, when you are pursuing God, yes, abstaining from food, to press in to know God, and you have compassion for those that are in need. You're meeting the needs. God is breaking your heart for the needs in your city and the people that are hurting and poor and marginalized and 
need compassion for, from us. When we're loving God and have a heart of compassion to those that are around us, then it tells us what that fast will bring about in our church, in our lives, in our community. In verse 8 it says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn. You know, there's been darkness. Then your light suddenly will start breaking forth. Why? Because there's a passionate pursuit of God and a passionate love for people. And, and your healing will quickly appear. Healing of what? Your heart, your soul, your body, your community. Then your righteousness will go before you. That sense of doing justice and what's right, that will go before us. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. It tells us in Matthew chapter 6 that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In other words, our righteousness will be at the front end of the boat. It will be breaking the ice as people see that we act justly and love people and do right in our community and people around us that we're loving. But the glory of God will trail behind us because righteousness is at the front. The glory of God is behind it. And he says, listen, then you will call and the Lord will answer. Then you will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. Do you see it? What Isaiah was telling these people is you're fasting, but you have little compassion. You're fasting, but you cannot break, you cannot, there can be no separation between your prayer and your lack of food and pressing into God and the relationship that you have with people around you, your compassion for people around you, your willingness to engage and help those that are truly needy at your doorstep. He promises that there will be a breakthrough like we've never seen before. When God's people, full of the Spirit of God, begin to pursue God, and his presence, it melts our heart in compassion for the people and the needs that surround us. I love it when the secular world starts coming to the church to look for answers. We've had various opportunities recently where agencies, including the city of Chicago, has come to us looking for help. Let me give you just one of those stories. One of our pastors recently was approached by a principal from a school in the community. And the principal in the school of the community who's not a believer approached the pastor and said, hey, there's a family at our school and we don't know what to do with them. They're from Guatemala, but they don't even speak Spanish because they are from a tribal place in Guatemala where they speak an indigenous dialect. So they don't even speak Spanish. And they said, we're concerned because uh, the little girl that's coming to school, she, she doesn't know English and we can't communicate her to her in Spanish, but she wears the same clothes every day. And we had someone that went over there and there's no mattress. They're sleeping on the floor with just... 
not even a blanket, but some coat over them, and they barely have anything to eat, and there's just a kid sort of living in squalor, and we are concerned because we, we, we don't know what to do with them, and so we're reaching out to the church. Hello. To see if maybe you guys can do something. And this pastor who's pressing into God, but allowing his heart to be molded with compassion to others, said, yeah, give us their address. So he went over there and he saw the conditions that they were living in and um, brought food and groceries over there. He found out that they... This family was being taken advantage by the landlord that was charging them a whole bunch of money. And uh, the father was working 50, 60 hours, leaving the kids there, but they could get a much better place. And so he rearranged for them to move out of that place and to get a place where they actually had a bed and actually could afford it and brought some blankets and clothes and brought the child over to the school, over to the church building so that they could do some, help them uh, with their studies and made sure that they were surrounded. Why? Because that's the kind of fast. That pleases the heart of God. That's the kind of fast, intense pursuit of God, combined with intense passion and compassion and love for people in need. It's the heart of the church. It's what causes God to listen. It's the kind of fast that God is saying, choose that kind of fast. Finally, number four, what do I need to let go of in my fasting? It tells us in verse nine, if you do away with three things, the yoke of oppression, the pointing finger, and the malicious talk. Look at it. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, the pointing the finger, and the malicious talk. You say, well, pastor, what does the yoke of oppression mean? I grew up in a small town in northern Spain called Rubena. In the town that I grew up in of about 200 people, there were more sheep and cattle than there were people. But I... As a small boy, I was familiar with el yugo, which means yoke. You see, in that town in northern Spain, they still plowed the ground with oxen. Uh, they don't anymore. It's all tractors. But back in the day, they had oxen. And they would, they would take a yoke. A yoke is a wooden piece. Uh, where they put the head of one oxen here, the head of another oxen he there, they strap the oxen into that yoke, and then they put a cart in the middle, and those two oxen now are yoked together. They're tied together. They can't escape. And then whatever's put in the cart, they have to carry, because that yoke forces them to carry the load that's in that cart. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked to a non-believer. 
Just a little side note for those of you that are dating and saying, you know, I can't find a good Christian guy. You know, this guy's not a Christian, but he looks pretty good. Marriage is one of the strongest yokes that you could put together. You're bound together. Your, your destiny is together, and it's a yoke that's put on you. And he says, get rid of the yoke of oppression. The yoke of oppression is that, is that there is something, a load too heavy for us to carry, a burden too heavy for us to carry that we impose on someone. And you say, Pastor, well, I'm not a business owner. I, I don't have a yoke of oppression on anybody. But can I tell you something? Relationally and spiritually, sometimes we do. When you hold someone in unforgiveness, you hold them, the Bible says, in debtor's prison. Every time you see that person, you say, you owe me something. You treat them as if they owe you something, and until they pay you what they owe, you have them in a virtual prison, and the Bible says Jesus described it when he talked about forgiveness, that God has forgiven us of so much when we go and hold something against someone else, it's like our debt is millions and we hold someone in prison for just dollars, then don't expect that your heavenly Father will forgive you if you're unwilling to forgive others. You may not hold someone in some oppressive employment, but you may hold someone in some oppressive prison of debt through resentment or unforgiveness that you're unwilling to let them out of. And the Bible says the pointing of the finger and the malicious talk against them. He says, let go of three things. Any kind of oppression that you have up upon someone, any pointing of fingers at other people saying, see, 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 them, 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 them. How many of you know that in a time of prayer and fasting, it's not about pointing at other people. It's about allowing the Spirit of God to point at our heart and deal with our issues instead of pointing at everybody else that needs to fix their issues. And so inspired by the spirit of the living God, Isaiah says, let go of the yoke of oppression, the pointing of the finger, the malicious talk. And then he says, the result will be. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. What's a well-watered garden? The fruit is continually coming. There's no need. It's luscious. It's powerful. This is what he's saying. God will respond to your fast. He says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called a repairer of broken walls and a restorer of the streets with dwelling. A what? He's talking about our impact on the community. A repairer of broken walls, a restorer of the streets and dwelling. Because let me tell you, when God starts working among us, he doesn't just work within the four walls of a church. It splashes out outside of the church. It starts to repair that which is broken. It starts to bring down those things that have uh, kept the... How many of you know that we live in a broken city? 
the power of the living Jesus that can bring about this change. The fast that God chooses is not just a fast of abstaining from food. It's not just a fast of seeking him with our mouths and with our posture. It's a fast of genuinely pressing in to know God and submitting ourselves to God, not fasting so that we can get from God what we want, but fasting so that God can do what he wants to do in our lives and have his way in our lives. And when we fast in that way, he baptizes us with a fresh love and compassion for the people around us so that no more who walks in these doors since a powerful powerful love that cannot be experienced anywhere else by the people of God who've been forgiven much and love much. It's the power of the fast that God chooses. So as we close our time together, I'm going to give an altar call. I'm going to invite you that need to, to come to the front of this stage to pray. I'm going to invite two groups of people. One are those of you that wanted to fast, started out, got discouraged. It's been a tough beginning, busy, distracted. I'm going to invite you to reconsecrate your fast a new beginning on your fast. So if you need to reconsecrate your fast, say, you know, I barely started, I just, you know, I just couldn't get into it. As the Spirit of God has been speaking to you, you realize I need to fast and pray, really fast and pray. Some of you need to reconsecrate your fast today. We started last Sunday, but some of you need to either start today because you didn't or reconsecrate your fast. And I'm going to ask if you're reconsecrating your fast that you would come and get on your knees before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm reconsecrating my fast, maybe starting today or reconsecrating us in just a moment. And there's others of you that are here that God has spoken to you through this passage about a fast that God chooses, not only in abstaining from food, but in a fast that affects your compassion and the relationships that are around you. A fast that leads you to forgive people that you've held in debtor's prison. A fast that leads you to have compassion for family members, maybe that are always the ones that are addicts or don't have a job or are annoying. A fast that leads you to have compassion on your community and the people around you, a fast that leads you to a fresh baptism of love for a heart that's become hard towards people. 